Oh, my dog. I gave my dog a toy because she usually goes into the bedroom with it, but she's decided to chew it right behind my desk. Uh-huh. That's fine. <laughs> Dogs are good. Okay. All right. <laughs> I have this like icebreaker sort of exercise that I like to do. Okay. But lately I've been doing it a little bit differently. I found this emotion randomizer website <laughs> and I got 10 random emotions. I'll tell you what those emotions are and then you can tell me the first game that comes to mind. Is that okay? Yeah, that's good. First one is Carefree. Carefree. Uh, Rayman Legends. Rayman Legends. Mm-hmm. Uh, crushed. Crushed. Um, Mass Effect 3. The third one, okay. Distrustful. Huh, that one's a tough one. Um, never know if you can trust an XCOM. <laughs> there you go. Is that, 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 is, that is it, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Confused. Um, oh, that one's tough too. Um, I'm having a hard time thinking of something for confused. I guess what's a game that I guess confused me or I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. Um, a lot of sort of Metroidvanias make me feel confused. I guess um, Axiom Verge, not the whole game, but there, but there are certain points of it, especially around the secrets and things where I just had no idea what the game was going for. Mm-hmm. Angry. Um, so this isn't so much a game that made me angry, but when I think about like anger in games, I think of I have no mouth and I must scream just of how angry and hateful Am is, the antagonist in that. Did you mention a game? I'm sorry. I have no mouth and I must scream. Oh, that, that is the title of the game. Sorry, I've yeah. never heard about that game. I'm going to have to look it up. I thought you were thinking about yourself not having a mouth. (laughs) (laughs) So the next one is Thrilled. Thrilled. Doom, the new one. Oh, okay. Uh, Comfortable. Felix the Cat. That's sort of my comfort game that I've been playing since I was a kid. That's for the NES, right? Yep. Okay, never played that one. Next one is Distant. Mm. Uh, Journey. Yeah, I mean, it's a very lonely game and I also feel a bit distant because I didn't get quite the emotional attachment to it that a lot of other people felt. Mm-hmm. And this is the last one, Empowered. Empowered. Um, say the new Tomb Raider. like to start with uh, the first gaming memories. First gaming memories. So I have been gaming basically as long as I can remember. My mom had a computer. I can't tell you what kind of computer. uh, Sort of fairly early in my life that she got from work. And I don't have like solid memories of exactly what games I was playing. I know there was a lot of sort of educational stuff. I have this memory of this one game where you're like playing a trucker and you have to take um, products sort of across the country. Uh, But my strongest memories, I guess, would be when I got my Nintendo, which was for my eighth birthday. I got my NES. So that sort of was the real start of remembering gaming uh so the super mario brother games were big um at that point and uh, i never had a huge library of games that i played but like the you know 15 or 20 or so games that i did have got got played a lot (laughs) from listening to your stuff i got the sense that maybe you weren't playing nintendo when you were a kid but you were so that is mm-hmm. that is funny. Was that when the NES was launched or was it a little bit later? It was later. So that would have been, I think, 1991 that oh, I got the NES. Yeah. So, so you got was... your NES already when the Super Nintendo was out? Yeah, I remember I had a, a neighbor. He was a year or two younger than me. And we used to always play 
NES either at my place or at his place. And I remember once I got a new game like a little while later and I brought it over at his house to play and he had just gotten a Super Nintendo. And I was like, oh, so <laughs> I never <laughs> I never got a Super Nintendo. I always tended to be a little bit like a little late on getting every console up until basically the newest gen, which I sort of had on day one. Did that change your perception of like newer games because you were like a little bit behind? Um, I don't think it did, especially not when I was younger. I was just sort of happy to play whatever was available to me then. So I would still like I played some of the Super Nintendo at my friend's house, but it wasn't something that I ever had. And then um, sort of between the Nintendo and the PlayStation 1, um, it was all all PC games. You made the jump from having the NES at home to mm -hmm. having a PS1. Yeah. Okay, so you jumped the fourth, I guess. Yeah, whole 16-bit generation. Yeah, other than, yeah, as I said, just like playing with friends occasionally, but I, it wasn't something I played a lot of. So especially I find um, in the community, like the Super Nintendo is, you know, kind of a big one. So I feel like I've lost out on a whole bunch of gaming experience and knowledge there but what can you do <laughs> yeah i was gonna say like do, do you think now as an adult do you think that has some sort of impact to your views of the fourth generation it might yeah because i never got into uh like so take jrpgs for example like my first one was really final fantasy 7 so now going back and looking at the the older ones like the chrono triggers and the final fantasy you know four or two and i look back at them i'm like eh, you know this isn't quite what i'm looking for in a game just because i sort of there's no emotional or nostalgic attachment to that kind of stuff uh whereas other genres like the platformers or the run and guns and things i i think i have more of an appreciation for because they were more similar to what i had grown up playing my experience is that when i think of the fourth super nintendo genesis stuff like that they seem to me like they are very pretty, very good looking, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Good looking games, the graphics and stuff like that. So since you don't have that attachment, I'm wondering now how much nostalgia has impacted my view of that? Like, do you find that the games in the fourth look particularly good or bad? Oh, I think they look great. I think the the fourth generation pixel graphics hold up much better than like the PS1 or the N64, which <laughs> I think look like garbage now. Mm -hmm. What about arcades? Did you go to arcades a lot when you were a kid? Occasionally. Um, I would go to things like Chuck E. Cheese, which is like arcades and food and scary dancing puppets. Uh, I The thing I remember most is the Simpsons arcade game. I used to play that one a lot. Um, I don't have a ton of other memories until later on, sort of like high school age, where I really got into um, light gun games whenever I go to arcades. Mm -hmm. Those are rarely mentioned nowadays. Yeah, yeah, you don't hear too much about them. But um, I remember there was a an arcade, oh, I forget what it's called, but uh, they had the Jurassic Park game where you're in like a big cabinet that's like the Jeep. And I used to really love that one. And then later on, after I was of drinking age, I there was this bar that I frequented with my work friends and my high school friends. And they had a game there that I would just sort of like, everyone else would be like drinking and dancing. And I would just like sneak off to go play Maximum Force. <laughs> Is that your favorite? I'd say it's my favorite just because I've probably played it the most, put the mm -hmm. most quarters into it. You know which one I love is Time Crisis. I, there yeah. was something about the pedal that I really, really love, you know. Yeah, those times in arcades were really like the last hurrah, right, for, for arcades, I think. That, that was the, the last thing that I remember playing was a lot of light gun games before they sort of faded away. Mm -hmm. um, let's go back a little bit. So you're a kid and you have a Nintendo. You mentioned this a little bit, but the relationship with your friends at school, your neighbors and stuff like that, being that you are a gamer, where your friends were also gamers? Yeah, I found most of my friends sort of growing up through elementary school. Um, I, I don't know, I'd say maybe half of my friends were gamers and half weren't particularly mm -hmm. interested in it. But yeah, I, I definitely had like 
my neighbor and then a few friends at school who were also girls who really liked video games and I would go over to their house and play things like Mega Man, which I had never played on my own up until recently. So you mentioned girls. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of girls that also played games. I mean, proportionally. Yeah. Proportion. Uh, yeah, I think so. It was there was sort of a, a time frame where I felt like er, sort of earlier on in elementary school, there was a lot of girls. And then in, in the middle, it felt like there was less and I was one of the only ones playing. But then getting back into like grade eight and nine, I found like a, a, most of my girlfriends played games as well. Huh. That's interesting. I mean, in, in retrospect, do you feel that that was peculiar somehow? No, I... I always felt like that was normal, which is why I always feel when people talk about, oh, like, sorry. <laughs> um, I feel like when people say like, oh, girls didn't play games in, you know, the 90s or whatever, they weren't marketed towards them. I felt like that was, I always feel like weird because it's so against my own experience. So like growing up, I never thought it was weird that I played games or that other girls played games. And I was never made to feel that that's something I shouldn't do. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I know a lot of, from what I've heard, you know, girls had like older brothers or something and they all played together. Whereas I was an only child and I still, you know, grow up, grew up with video games, sort of the whole, my whole childhood. I do feel that it was more of a boy oriented culture. Even mm -hmm. when, when I was a kid, I don't remember having female friends that, that played games. Now, What do you think was the difference, if you think there's any, between the kids that didn't play games and you? Do you think there was some sort of a difference there? Uh, nothing that I can really put my finger on. Um, like, no one seemed, you know, against video games. Like, if I pulled out the Nintendo while well, I had friends over who weren't generally players who, like, played at home, no one was like, oh, no, video games are stupid or for boys or anything. But I, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what it is that made some go down that route and others not. But you did mention the size of the group became smaller as time went by, right? Yeah, that might have also been a function of my own sort of playing. So, you know, an NES is something you would, you know, you could sit down and play with other people. Whereas for those years that I was really just playing PC games, it was definitely more of a, a solo thing. Like I wouldn't have people over and both sit at the computer at that point. Although that was something I did later on. But yeah, I, I can't really explain why that happened. That was just sort of something I noticed. So you think it has to do with you moving more to PC? So it's not like they stopped playing. It's more that you were playing different things on a different platform. I think so. Mm -hmm. Like, With the NES, like there's certain sort of games that sort of everyone plays and everyone knows and talks about. Whereas on PC, there was just so much and such a variety of different games and genres that even if you both played, like there's a good chance that you ha would have no overlap in what you were interested or what you were playing. Mm -hmm. And do you feel that way nowadays too? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, a lot of people just play online multiplayer games or Minecraft or something, which is mm -hmm. like something that I'm not interested in at all. So there's no real like PC gaming group because I feel like there's a lot of large buckets of games that you play and there's not necessarily overlap in them. I mentioned this because I remember when you guys did your CC100 podcast. I think you mentioned mm -hmm. that something along the lines of like, I put this amount of PC games on my list and nobody else is putting like PC games and stuff like that. So do you get the feel that in order for you to, you know, to have some sort of a community, you have to play what the majority is playing, but like the majority is not so open to playing like the stuff that you like and stuff like that? Yeah, in some ways, I, I definitely think like in the Cartridge Club community, specifically like it is very oriented towards like those cartridge games like those old school there's a lot of nintendo fans as we saw from the cc 100 a lot of the top 100 were nintendo mm -hmm. and so i i do feel like sometimes i'm talking about games and no one like that i grew up with that are like so super familiar to me and no one knows what i'm talking about like they have no frame of reference for it 
and, and now thinking about it from what you are saying, you were playing Nintendo a little bit late, that is one of the factors, and then you jumped to PS1, which is sort of normal, a lot of that, that's where the, the shift happened. Mm -hmm. um, but then the point of inflection I think here is, how did you make the jump from the PS1 directly to the PC? It actually happened the other way around, where I was on PC and I was fine not having, you know, a Super Nintendo or a Genesis or like a whatever else was coming out during that time. But then in, I believe I was in grade nine, um, my friend in high school, she was always, always talking about Final Fantasy VII and how Yuffie had stolen her materia and Sephiroth was going to meteor the world. And I was like, what is this game? And I would see the uh, commercials for it on TV. And so that is sort of what got me back into the console space was Final Fantasy VII and like hearing my friend talking about it all the time and deciding that I needed, I needed to be playing it too. <laughs> okay, so I got it all wrong then. So you feel more at home at PC and then when there's something that when the outside world kind of calls, you go there to see what's going on. Yeah, I guess. Do you feel that way? Nowadays, too? No, I prefer to play on console. Oh, really? <laughs> okay, so it, there was another sort of a shift now. Yeah, it's it just depends on the kind of game you're playing, I think. So, like, I really like point-and-click adventure games, and those are much easier to play with a mouse and keyboard. Uh, or Overwatch, like, that's a competitive shooter. Again, much easier to play with a mouse and keyboard. I also played World of Warcraft, where, you know, that was my only option. But any other kind of games, like third-person shooters, sort of action-adventure games, I would rather play those on console. So it really just depends on the kind of game. And also, my console is in my bedroom, and I can play video games in bed, which is my my personal preference. Um, it's better than sitting at a computer all day. I mean, I do that anyway at work, so. Mm -hmm. As you grew up, did it get to a point where your group or where people around you that, that were playing video games just got too small, or you were left alone in the gaming camp? Um, I don't think so. Um, other than that sort of middle kind of age where I was just playing PC alone I always had people to play with like even sort of in grade 7 and grade 8 I had a friend who was also really into PC games and like her dad would burn me copies of games and we'd sit beside each other and like play wizardry or quest for glory or something on PC uh, and then sort of going into high school uh, when I started to have boyfriends, they were always playing video games, so I was always playing GoldenEye and things. Um, although I was never a huge multiplayer fan, so I often just wish people would just leave so I could play through the single-player campaign. Uh, so no, I've I've always had sort of people around gaming, with the exception of that few years. Um, and then once I got into college, I started playing World of Warcraft, which was very social. <laughs> So you never really had that experience of being like the nerdy kid. Mm -mm, no. That is very interesting. Very, very interesting. And also you always had some female acquaintances that were also gaming, right? Yep. Huh. That is so very interesting. Why do you think, because I can tell you that your experience is not, I'm not saying that is rare, but I'm saying that it happens with less frequency than its counterpart. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why do you think that is? Um... I I don't know. Maybe I was just lucky in, you know, where I was going to school and who I was talking to. I've also felt like I've never considered video games something nerdy or something to be ashamed of. Like, so it's not like I was just keeping it to my to myself. Like, oh, I don't want to tell people I play video games or, you know, they're going to judge me or anything. Like, even right up until, you know, having... A career and people say oh what do you like to do and I say I play video games like it's not like something I feel I need to need to hide in any way so yeah it's it's weird because I understand it's sort of not the most common experience but it, it it always makes it difficult for me to relate when people talk about video games like they're this super nerdy thing and that people got like shoved into lockers for playing whereas I've always grown up with people around me playing games so I just think like if you're not playing video games like what did you do for fun <laughs> <laughs>
When did you realize, because it wasn't growing up from what I'm getting, like when did you realize that for a lot of us, it was seen as, you know, the nerdy activity, you know, something that has some sort of taboo around it? I suppose it was when the internet started becoming more of a thing and social media and people, you know, were talking about how girls don't play games or even in World of Warcraft, which seemed natural to me. And I had, you know, real life friends who played it too. But if you were in a, a group of strangers and you talked on voice chat and they're like, oh my God, it's a girl. Like, <laughs> and it was that kind of sort of going beyond my own social circle through the internet or through online gaming that it really became apparent that this was not the, this was not the usual situation. So to you, those kinds of people in, in WoW that reacted that way were a bunch of, of weirdos, right? Mm -hmm. Or thinking yeah. that way. <laughs> yeah. This is why I like doing these kinds of things, because when you're an adult, I guess, you make a lot of assumptions about the world. Mm -hmm. and you treat people and you treat the world and, and, and you, you go by without really asking too many questions. It's just more like, oh, I'm assuming that the world works this way. So if, if I experienced this, then probably most people did. So you just act upon those assumptions instead of like actually, you know, because it, it's time consuming, right? To know everyone's story and contextualize and, and, and things like that. You, we're talking about this part of your life where you were in a sort of a, I'm going to call it a bubble. <laughs> and then you're starting to, to realize and, and get in contact, contact with the, the broader, you know, gaming culture and internet culture, which are sort of, now they are linked together. Mm -hmm. And then you are outside in the, in the world. How did this background of being a gamer impacted how your later life decisions, finding a job and, you know, going on with your life? Uh, well, there's been a few different ways. Um, I mean, my interest in games made me uh, work in QA for like a year or a year and a half while I was in university. Though, although I have to say that job did not lead anywhere else down the gaming route. That was just sort of a interesting year or so doing that and realizing that making money from video games isn't isn't always all it's cracked up to be. Um, and then just sort of going on like World of Warcraft again. I met a lot of real life friends from that game. I met my partner in that game. And um, then as sort of a hobby, World of Warcraft also is what got me into writing about video games, which once I got tired of WoW, I sort of spread out into other games and then eventually started making, um, making videos and doing the podcast. Let's go back a little bit. So you mentioned that you, you did QA in a video game company. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. D did you have some sort of a preconception of what that was going to be before you got that job? Uh, yeah, I think it was a basic playing video games for money, which is it kind of is. I mean, it's not in the way that you would normally play a video game because you're just replaying certain parts over and over and over again. Uh, sometimes it would be interesting and then sometimes something would go wrong up in development and you'd be testing the same build for two weeks and just like going out of your mind with boredom. So you're saying that you sort of thought that it was going to be just like playing games, mm -hmm. but I guess that the, um, the shock was all the process around it, right? Probably the, the reporting and the doing it again and again and again. Yeah. And it's also, you don't get a choice of what kinds of games you play. So you know, I didn't necessarily enjoy a lot of them. Like a lot of the games we tested were kind of like the budget shooter titles, which aren't particularly fun to play and really aren't fun to play over and over and over again. Uh, but uh, sometimes we would get things that were kind of cool. Like there's a, a Playboy, the mansion game, which is basically like The Sims, except also you do magazine management and take pictures of topless ladies uh which i thought was a lot of fun so yeah it was it, it depended on exactly what kind of game you were playing and how fast the new builds were coming but it yeah there was a lot of reporting and i actually don't mind the reporting the 
bug tracking and like the regression testing. I actually like that stuff. It's just like the the repetition that really gets to me. Like I I made no friends at times when we didn't have enough sort of new game to test and I would go and I would QA other people's bugs and point out all their mistakes, which <laughs> everyone, no one loved me for that, but I, I was so bored that I needed to find something to amuse myself. your opinions about video games changed after that job? Yeah, I mean, I got a look at how difficult that they could be to make. And especially, I mean, in QA, sometimes you would log something and it just wouldn't get fixed. It would be determined that it was too difficult or too expensive or wasn't serious enough. Like things like, you know, graphics clipping through other things or things like that. So, um, you know, people, People talk about, you know, games not having good enough QA or being lazy or something, but it's not always quite that simple to to change those things. Do you use that experience when you are doing your reviews or your your writings or your podcasting? Mm, I don't know if it's had that much of an impact in terms of sort of the development of games it's had more of an impact in terms of seeing the kind of culture around game development studios uh, yeah i can tell you qa is one of the toughest there's mm -hmm. a lot of responsibility for qa you see they have to do all this work and sometimes you don't know if you're going to do overtime until like the very day because you know some hot fixes and whatnot and then you sort of report things that sometimes they don't get fixed and stuff like that. And when anything goes wrong, QA is, is accountable for it. Now that games are the way they are, sometimes development is put on hold a little bit just to release certain parts of the game, you know, and, and then something goes wrong or it crashes. And the first party that gets blamed for anything that happens <laughs> on live is QA. Yeah. And sometimes it's not their fault. As you say, sometimes they reported the thing and they tell us, well, here's here's a ticket, you know. And mm -hmm. it's like it's marked as pending or will not fix or stuff like that. So I completely get what you're saying. And it, it still happens. Yeah, sometimes it's difficult. You only have so much time, so you have to like prioritize. We're gonna fix this and this and this, and then we're gonna go. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I also found that in QA, like it's not necessarily looked at as being something super important or super, you know, difficult or anything. So, yeah, that's true. That's true. The QA is, is usually the one that is uh, considered the most replaceable, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're at a point where you're out of school, you have some game dev experience, and then at some point you mentioned you starting writing about games. How did that happen? So I started playing World of Warcraft in, I don't know, maybe 2006. It was like, it was during the, like when the base game came out, but like at the very end of that. So just before the first expansion came out and I immediately got really into it like I hadn't even finished leveling my character yet and they were people were already taking me on raids and like making me an officer in guilds and things so I uh it actually started with me just wanting people to play better so I started this blog where I would write tips so I played a healer in one of my guilds and it was just like basically telling people use your damage reduction skills you know like you can't just yell at the healers for heals you have to do what you can to keep yourself alive too so it was just those kind of um articles and things i would start writing or if i would see something that people had a sort of misconception about i would like do some theory crafting to show like why this skill is better than this skill or whatever so that was how my games writing started uh, and my blog eventually got fairly big. I was writing a lot of uh, information on Restoration Druids, which is a class and a spec you can play. And so I would write, you know, guides on how to play. And those always got 
uh, pretty popular. So that lasted for quite a while until I started to really, really get tired of World of Warcraft. Um, I kept playing because of social ties and a uh, feeling of responsibility toward my guilds, but I eventually stopped writing about Warcraft because I, I secretly hated it, or not not so secretly hated, um, and started writing about more, more general gaming topics. Mm -hmm. This hate for, <laughs> for a while, mm -hmm. um, like how much did you tolerate that? Did you stop playing altogether at some point, or? Yeah, I was the guild master of oh, my boy. guild at in the mists of Pandaria. So, our, our previous one had stepped down, sort of at the end of the last expansion, and I had stepped up, and that really, like, that took an extra toll just mm -hmm. being in charge, and that was just like extra work on top of like the raiding schedule and everything. So it was during that that I really started to dislike it. But since I was the guildmaster, I didn't want to just like peace out and you know leave everyone hanging. So I continued playing for that entire expansion, and I let everyone know like I'm I'm quitting. I'm never coming back after this. So <laughs> and that's what I did. I haven't played World of Warcraft since. Other than sometimes, sometimes my boyfriend will plays it, and like once I did a quest for him, but that that's the extent. <laughs> okay, so you had your blog, and after you quit the game, you still had this blog, but you were writing about other things. You saying right? Yeah. In the same blog. Yeah, same blog. Uh huh. It's not the same as now, right? The blog is cannot be tamed. The same as oh, my okay. So channel name. So cannot be tamed comes from your WoW days. Yes. Ah, can you explain a little bit why it cannot be tamed? Yeah, so I, <laughs> in World of Warcraft, I played, at one point I was playing in two guilds. So in one guild, I was a druid, and a druid is a class who can, like, change into animals. And in the other guild, I was playing a hunter, and a hunter can tame beasts that they find out in the wild. So there's always kind of been this joke about how hunters should be able to tame druids. Um, and if you actually try to tame something that's untamable, the little tooltip pops out and it says cannot be tamed. So that's where that name came from. And just since naming things is hard, I just didn't change that when I started my uh, YouTube channel. And I already had some kind of, I guess, brand recognition. Uh -huh. So I just kept that. So you've been holding to that name for what 15 years um 11 i think 11 yeah that's a long time anyway yeah i keep thinking i want to change it but i also feel like i don't know it's at first you know coming up with a new name would be difficult and then just getting everyone to know that it's still the same channel and things would also be difficult i've also been trying to change my twitter handle for years which still hasn't happened yet so Following the same kind of logic that the name for your channel came from something from what you were playing back then, where do you think that name would come if you change your brand today? It's difficult to pick something because I have a fairly wide like range of interests in games. Like It's not like I'm a big Nintendo person or I'm a big fan of this and series or anything. So it's hard to sort of pick what exactly would... I would mm -hmm. want to name myself after. I could think of my favorite game, which is Planescape Torment, and maybe something based on that. But I also have never talked about it on my channel, aside from like, this is my favorite game, and here's why. It's not, you know, a game I've covered at this point. Oh, I see. When did making more than just written media appear in your life? Um, it was more of a response to just sort of where people were. Um, as with pretty much everything like consoles, I've always been a little bit behind the times. So I felt like after a point, people weren't really reading blogs a whole lot more. Like as soon as I stopped like making Warcraft guides and things like the traffic on my blog just plummeted. Like it was very difficult to get any kind of the same attention that I had gotten at one point. So it seemed like videos was the thing that everyone was doing. So I think my first video, I made a, a really bad walkthrough of a game in 2014. And then I made my first actual scripted video in January of 2015. 
So I, yeah, like I miss the wave kind of on the YouTube being a big thing, just like everyone is now streaming. And I'm like, no, I don't want to stream. I'll probably start in five years or something when everyone else is on to the next thing. But yeah, it was just, yeah, so wanting to get myself out there more. I mean, I know a lot of people who create content say, oh, I don't do it for the views or the numbers. And like, I don't do it totally for the views or the numbers. But I also, if I'm going to be putting a lot of work into something, like I want people to see it. Now, when you're writing, it might not be obvious that you are a female, but when you're in front of the camera, then things mm -hmm. change very dramatically. Yes. Because I was looking at some of your videos and some of the most fascinating ones, but also the most painful for me particularly to, to watch was your uh, Pam Reed's mean comment video. Mm -hmm. But also like now knowing your story about how you weren't really exposed to that sort of a misogynistic culture from, from when you were a kid. Like, is this where like all the garbage was dumped on you all of a sudden? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, it was a little bit before the videos, um, you know, in, in Warcraft, you know, if playing with strangers, you could get that kind of stuff. Um, on my blog, uh, occasionally, occasionally I would like dip into feminism topics or when like Gamergate happened, I wrote an article about that. So I could sometimes get it that way. But yeah, it was definitely like the majority of the shit I've gotten on the internet or in gaming has been around the videos. Yeah. How do you put up with that? <laughs> okay. Let me go back a little bit. I was analyzing this a little bit. Mm -hmm. So when you, you were a kid, there were female friends that play games. And I think that one of the reasons that continued to be like that was because there were girls there, right? So the, if there are girls that play games, there's likely some other girls that are also going to feel, you know, safe or feel normal playing mm -hmm. games. So I was thinking maybe you yourself are one of those reasons why you had those experiences because you were attracting other girls, I guess, or making other girls feel safe doing that. Yeah. And, and the opposite mm -hmm. is true, right? Mm -hmm. The opposite is true. If, if only guys are playing games, then girls are going to feel discouraged to do so. And, and, and especially, you know, growing up when things get a little bit more aggressive during, you know, the teenage years and the high school years and all that, which is what, when I detect that, you know, the, um, the bro culture kind of like takes over around that age. But now that you're doing your YouTube channel, where there's very little female representation there. Yeah, I and that was sort of part of it, too, is that I wanted there to be more. Um, you know, when I like there are women doing this, like there have been women doing this far before I have. I mean, obviously, it's more men on YouTube, especially the bigger channels than women but yeah when when I started doing videos I also thought like I want to be out and be visible and be like yeah like girls have been playing video games this whole time too um and then also like when I I do what I can to promote other women's channels as well because I want other people to see them and one of the comments that like gets the most under my skin is when people are like oh wow a girl who knows about games or you're the first channel by a woman I've ever seen and it's just like really like have you been under a rock like come on so yeah that's definitely part of it the wanting to kind of normalize it and be like yeah, we've been here the whole time. Maybe not quite as many of us, but like, we're here. How do we take the next step as community? You know, how do we go from this hostile environment to something that is healthy for all genders, I guess? Oh. Don't ask me any hard questions or anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think more women doing it. I also think there's just 
people just take what they're shown, like what you what comes up on YouTube or what'll come across your Twitter, depending on who you follow, is might not show you the full breadth of what is available out there. So like you might have to actually do a little bit of digging to find channels from women or channels from people of color or something like that. So I think it's just taking that little bit of effort. Like when I wanted to make a video to promote other women channels, like I would find one I liked and then I would go through their recommended channels, see what they were subscribed to, see if I could like find something new that way. Or you can ask on Twitter, like, hey, what are your favorite channels by women? So it sometimes takes a little bit of effort. Like if you've just got a circle, like the sort of big sort of retro gamer circle, and that's all you follow, like they don't do a whole lot of promoting of women. Um, so you might need to like put in a little, a little effort if you want to find some content that is not sort of the same thing over and over by the exact same type of person. So I think that's, that's one thing. Um, yeah, just promoting other kinds of content saying something if you know people are being shitty to someone making bad comments based on who they are as opposed to you know the quality of their videos then you know stuff like that to make people feel like it's normal and make the people who are creating feel like they're not alone so sorry to bring this up but well let me go on a, a little bit of a rant here <laughs> sure. i feel that there are a bunch of places in society where females are not properly represented. In schools, for example, in engineering, in math, and you know, science, you know, STEM. The, the numbers of, of females going into those types of courses has sharply decreased. You know, in the 80s, when, when these sort of uh, uh, careers peaked, mm -hmm. it was almost 50-50. And then at some point, I don't know, exactly why the females just stopped going into those courses specifically in computer science right and this impacts directly game development right so you try to find them right so you have this issue and you try to find them and they're not there and then when you in the same for what what you're doing right you try to find a certain creator or you know games designed by by women and stuff like that and you try to do it and you have to sort of give it a little bit of preference, right? Um, mm -hmm. When I thought this was being handled in a way that was sort of appropriate, this is where I think Gamergate happened. So mm -hmm. what what is your take on that? Because I don't want to think this way, but it is it can be a possibility. This sort of action, I don't want to call it affirmative action, but it's sort of like what it the first thing that comes to mind was met with this hostile reaction from the community. You know, what, mm -hmm. what, what is your take on, on that? That's a hard question to answer because I think that, yeah, I don't know. People feel like they're having something taken away from them. Like if you want to try to elevate a group that's got less representation, people feel attacked like oh well if if they get more i will have less which isn't necessarily what's going to happen so it, it's it's made it especially hard now be, because of this like huge hostile overreaction uh it's probably made people even less likely to go into that kind of stuff. I mean, I guess it depends. Like there's there's some women who will just like dig their heels in and be like, nope, I'm not letting you control me in this way. But then there's others who will be like, okay, well, this seems like a lot of possible harassment and pain for something. I'll just go do something else. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think the hiring question is also a little bit different, maybe um, just to relate it to something that's but I've been on my mind lately. I'm going to a gaming convention in September, and there are zero guests who are women, and I am not happy about that. Uh, so it's one of those things where, like, I don't know. I don't necessarily think you have to like set your sights lower to, you know, find some women to be guests for you. But 
at the same time, like, I don't know, sometimes having diversity and equality, like does take a little bit of effort on the part of the people who actually have the power to make these decisions. I think people are very confused right now because at the same time you have this idea that yes, we want more females to be present in our community. We want that. At the same time, if you take action to do that, then you're going to get criticized, right? Mm -hmm. So you're in this weird position where you both want to do something and not do something. And this is where I feel we are at the present moment. So it's hard to be in the middle and you have to take like a really strong position to go to one side or the other and then attack the other side if you get criticized. Mm -hmm. um, I find that very annoying because I feel more comfortable being in the middle. You know, I like to understand both sides. Where I'm going with this is as a creator, you were already there when all this mess happened. How mm -hmm. did it impact you directly? I didn't feel a lot of direct impact. It was more my opinions on the gaming community as a whole that got changed. I like I didn't get any harassment or anything during that time. Um, yeah, the whole thing just made me kind of sad and angry. And it also made me, you know, want to dig my heels in and be like, well, I'm not letting these people take over this hobby that I love. So, I mean, it wasn't too long after that that I started my channel. Did it change anything about your content? It depends. Like, in terms of writing, it changed it. Like, I was more likely to be inflammatory uh, about that kind of stuff. But in terms of video, I actually, it, it didn't. Like, a lot of my videos are just basic, like, your review of a retro game. It's, I don't go over too much sort of content would be considered political, even though, you know, everything can be political. But I, uh, yeah, in terms of writing and sort of my online presence, I felt more strongly that I needed to like speak up against that kind of stuff. But in terms of videos with a few exceptions, I just sort of made not too controversial content. Mm -hmm. Lately, you've been putting up some videos that I find very interesting like your uh mothers in video game episode mm -hmm. i really really enjoyed that one and okay. there was you had this video about highlighting other youtube channels created by by females and all that was also so so good because that is the kind of content that you don't find very easily and and more specifically like well done you know coming from a from a genuine place you know what i mean mm-hmm because sometimes I feel that it, if you find this sort of content is very overtly just, you know, pandering to a certain section yeah. of the audience. But, well, this is my take. When you've done it, it feels true, you know? It feels like you're just doing it because you want to and not because you want to, like, get some traffic. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we've been talking about your uh, your YouTube channel and uh, what about the the... The podcast when did that start uh so the podcast started a couple years ago it was another thing where uh i just wanted some more creative outlet like i i really like doing the videos but it's also a very one-sided thing i mean with the exception of the comments there's not a whole lot of discussion or back and forth um Actually, when I first started thinking about doing a podcast, I was going to just like steal the Cartridge Club's format of like doing a monthly book club where I would invite someone on to talk about it. Uh, that eventually evolved a little bit, sort of. I sat on the fence for months thinking like, okay, do I want to do this by myself? Do I want another host? Um, and then Riley, who is my real life friend who I actually met in World of Warcraft, Mm -hmm. uh, she had been talking about how she wanted to do something creative, whether it was, you know, writing or streaming or something. So I finally thought like, hey, I'll ask if Riley wants to do this podcast for me with me. Um, and then that'll like give me the impetus to actually get it off the ground. So, yeah, we talked about what we would want to have in a podcast and eventually just started started that up. What do you think is the main theme that connects all your your podcast episodes? 
Um, I don't know if there's a theme so much as just wanting an outlet to discuss the things that we are seeing in media, whether that's games or TV shows or movies. Mm -hmm. uh, part of it is wanting to share with other people like that. I think that's probably that's probably the theme, actually, like the the blog was wanting to tell people how I thought they should be playing World of Warcraft. The videos were wanting to share games I loved with other people. And then the podcast was just an extension of that, of wanting to be able to talk about and recommend or sometimes criticize or both, um, just all the other media as well. Mm -hmm. But also like brand wise, if you define your podcast as just something that you do to talk about the stuff that you like, that that's very broad in general. But to me, Media Mavens really stands out also, not not just that, but also because it's done by, you know... Two women. Two women, but, but also a lot of the guests that you have are, are women too, right? Women in, yes. in media. Yeah. So I feel, I don't want to reduce or oversimplify what you do, but I feel... A strong part of the identity of your brand is is that, right? Yeah. That is no, made a, by women. I mean, I guess there was a part of me as well when making the podcast that, you know, there's that joke about, like, what do you call three white guys in a room, a podcast? Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... Uh, it was yeah, there was there was some of that as well. There had been a podcast called Justice Points, which was also two women. They actually started off as a World of Warcraft podcast and went to a more general gaming podcast and they stopped making episodes and I like felt this void in my soul from that. And I wanted to I mean, there's again, there's there's other women doing this, but I wanted to, you know, be another one where it's like you know, hearing from mostly women, we have had, you know, guests who are men on the show, but wanting to get sort of a different viewpoint than the one that you would normally get, especially on uh, gaming podcasts. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a question that has more to do with my personal interest, but yeah, how do you contact them and, and, and convince them to, to record an episode with you? Um, most people that have been on are people I have followed and talked to, to some extent on Twitter. Uh, actually that brings up another reason that I really love the podcast. It's that these are people I want to talk to, but like the podcast is the excuse. Like it would be weird, you know, if you were just like, Hey, would you like to talk? with me on the phone for an hour like that's not a thing that people do but you mm -hmm. can say hey would you like to be on my podcast and that's totally normal so yeah they're just people who have been writing interesting things or doing interesting things that um the podcast sort of gives me a reason to have a discussion with them there are a couple people uh like we had frida wolf on our show and she was the voice of the um protagonist in the newest Mass Effect game. And so I had followed her and I was like, oh, she would be a cool guest. Um, so I got drunk and I messaged her <laughs> 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 to ask if she would be on because I'm I'm also pretty shy. Like if if it's someone I don't know, it's very hard for me to reach out and ask. So a little bit of liquid uh, courage sometimes helps me when I invite people that I don't know as well and this was uh via twitter yep hmm drunk tweeting all right yep <laughs> well, <laughs> I, well i i messaged her uh and oh, she okay, told me yeah. yeah she told me to email her so that that's how that works um the cartridge club how did you join uh, well, I had found out about it while I was like researching what I would want to do for a podcast and then there's a number of people in it in the area. I think it was J-Rock who mentioned the club at a, like at a swap meet that we had been to. And so I decided to actually join up and, you know, hopefully, you know, discuss some video games with some like-minded people. The content created in the club, did it have any... Well, you mentioned that the, the main podcast had an influence in what you wanted to do, but did others did too? Mm, it was mainly the the Cartridge Club 
Prime and just the discussion about video games more than the content. I mean, as time has gone on, I now, you know, listen to a lot of the podcasts and watch a lot of people's channels. But initially, it was just that sort of want for, you know, conversation about games that was hopefully a little more in depth than something like Twitter could give. What are your general thoughts of the club? I think it's great. I've met a lot of good people here. I've found a lot of podcasts that I really enjoy. Um, sometimes I wish the discussion was a little bit, a little bit more in terms of the games. But uh, I, I feel again, this is one of the things we're like, oh, forums. Those are old news. Everyone's on Discord now, and I was like, can we please just talk on the forums? <laughs> um, so. I'm enjoying the sort of new game selections, even though it's been a bit since I participated in one of the monthly games. But and this is kind of hard for me to to ask, but I, I guess I have to ask um, general thoughts on Bonus Barrel. Oh, I like Bonus Barrel. I mm -hmm. listen to it. Uh, yeah, I like it. I really specifically like it when the whole crew is on together. Yeah. Um, Sometimes I feel like something's missing when, you know, there's only three people. Uh, I really like the beginning, especially. I mean, I know there's usually a game to talk about and kind of depends on what game it is in terms of like how, how much I enjoy the second half of the show. But I always find like the banter and the topics for discussion on that first half are always really, really interesting. Really? <laughs> mm -hmm. Because... That is the part that I find the most difficult to to participate in because uh, mm -hmm. I'm bad with like small talk and because when I'm there I'm like what do I say when do I talk you know what I mean yes I I find I I do that myself like if I'm on podcasts with multiple people like I always have thought that I'm a better host than a guest because as a guest I'm like like I don't know when to talk I don't want to talk over anyone like so it, it can be hard when you've got four people on like that if you are someone who's not as vocal. So that's it for the main part of the of the recording. I have a final questionnaire that I've been doing lately. Um, ten questions. Mm -hmm. Are you okay with that? Yeah, that's fine. Alright. So First question is, a game you love? Planescape Torment. A game you hate? Oh, um, Catherine. Catherine. Mm -hmm. Three game, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't, I, I like half of it and I hate the block puzzles, so. <laughs> uh, games wise, what turns you on? Good controls. What turns you off? Getting lost or not knowing where I'm supposed to be going or what I'm supposed to be doing. A sound effect that you love? Uh, the PlayStation 1 turning on. A sound effect that you hate? Beeping when you're low on health. Uh, Axiom Verge has a particularly annoying one and I just played Star Tropics 2 and it is the most shrill annoying thing ever. I would just like throw myself into the void to avoid <laughs> having to listen to it any longer. Your favorite in-game power-up or weapon? Uh, I like in Saints Row 4 your super high jumping ability. A game character that you would like to be? Commander Shepard. A game character that you would not like to be? I wouldn't want to be Mario. That's funny. Okay. And the last <laughs> the, the last question is imagine you could play any game, real, upcoming or even imaginary. What game would that be? Oh. Um my imaginary game would be some kind of follow-up to Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines which I've heard there's something coming, but I I don't know. I, I just want basically that game new in the same world and with less bugs. <laughs> <laughs>